Yeah, so welcome back. Returning champion, <laughs> Danielle O'Farrell has joined the Liquid Flannel Podcast to talk about lady things. Hey, Danielle. Hello. Greetings. So, Danielle, you've been uh, out and about doing uh, some activism. Yes, I have. Marching literally in the streets. You had a pretty sweet sign. Tell us all <laughs> Thank about you. it. Uh, I spent, so I live in New York, but I spent Saturday from 4 a.m. until about 11 p.m. Um, out of New York going to the Women's March in D.C., which was an incredible experience, although it's so crowded that it was kind of in the minutiae a little frustrating because... You couldn't get around anywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's odd because I heard that there were about 200 people there. Yeah, um, 200 plus another uh, half million, my understanding. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh. Give, give or take. Depending okay. on whose facts you are accepting as fact these days. Okay. Alternate. Um, no, I got very lucky. I did a play this summer with a bunch of very awesome women, a very awesome play with a bunch of very awesome women. And one of them teaches at Horace Mann, which is a progressive private school. Um, I think it's a private school in Manhattan, uh, actually in the Bronx. And uh, they chartered a bus to send teachers and friends of teachers to the Women's March. So we all got to the Bronx at four in the morning. We hopped on a bus. We drove to D.C. and we got to Alexandria around 930 and then uh, tried to take the metro into D.C., but it was which we eventually were able to do. But literally, we got to the metro station and the line just to buy tickets for the metro, the metro cards, took us an hour. Um, the 30 odd of us. And some of us, I had bought my ticket ahead of time, but not everyone had received theirs, understandably, because there was pretty high demand, I think. Uh, So we took about an hour to get the tickets, and then we got onto the metro platform, and then we literally took an hour to take the 20-minute metro ride because the train kept stopping at every stop and holding. And when we got to the Les Enfants station, we could see why, because it took us 20 minutes to get out of the train station from the platform to the street. It was jam- it was unbelievably packed and congested. Then we walked uh, from the station at Les Enfants all the way to the closest we could get to to the rally, which was well, at our time of arrival, which was two hours late. We got there at noon um, because of all these delays. And uh, at that point, the rally had been going on for a couple of hours. But it, the stage of the rally was at third in Independence, I believe. And the closest we could get was 11th in Independence. So we were wow. eight city blocks back. And that was it was... It was nuts. It was packed. One of the reports I got out of the, the the people who were in the thick of it, Daniel, was that basically the entire march route filled up, which meant there wasn't any room for anyone to move anywhere. This was what was really interesting for me as an experience, was that I come from a, a family who has this history of protest. And like Brenda mentioned, I, uh, I made a bunch of signs on Friday. That was my, my act on Friday, was I turned off the television and just made a bunch of protest signs. Uh, one of them was the one I carried, which is uh, just said, I march for generations of women and had a picture of my great grandmother, my grandmother and my mom um, who have fought for equal pay, reproductive rights and justice for all because I wanted to honor them because all of them fought 
in their different ways. My great grandmother was very into birth control and prophylactic devices, as she would call them. And she would write letters constantly to uh, people in charge, basically saying we need to widen access to birth control in the 1920s, 1930s. And my grandmother and my mom were both enormous supporters of the LGBT community and uh, for you know fighters for civil rights. My family hosted refugees from the Suez Canal crisis, things like that. If you feel sometimes like it's too hard to like get out there and talk about women's rights today, just think about being a women's rights birth control advocate in the 20s. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm very proud of my the ladies in my family. But yeah, so I, I had this sign. Protesting is something I've, I'm familiar with, but the act of protesting can be enormously frustrating because for us, we were so far back at this point because they expected 200,000 people at the Women's March and they ended up with, it looks like, at least twice that. How is he even going to hear us from back Well, here? and we couldn't hear them, you know? Like, we couldn't, we couldn't hear the stage. We couldn't really see the stage or the big screens they put up. We were just too far back because there were so many people. So we were sta- basically, we just stood in the street for three hours, craning our necks, occasionally hearing something that Scarlett Johansson was saying. It was a really surreal experience of being very bored and very frustrated while knowing that we were there to be counted. And as soon as we let go of the idea as a group that we we had to march and we had to shout and we had to sort of be actively seen and sort of decided, all right, it is okay that we're not going to be able to march because we, we couldn't. They basically filled up at least half, if not two thirds or all of the parade route. So there was no, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> it was, we were just all standing around in clusters packed together. See what I, what I couldn't figure out was why they didn't link up the beginning of the parade route with the end. And then everyone could just march in a giant <laughs> <Continuum>. circle. Continuum. <laughs> so the, the experience of being there was in a, like a very tiny way, enormously frustrating. Cause it just felt like you were standing there unable to hear or see or participate. But obviously then incredibly moving once you could get past the idea of like, I am here to make a difference and just decide that your presence standing there trying to listen, trying to see uh, was important. That was a big thing for my group and I when we, we were surrounded by people who were very frustrated, who um, sort of like were, were obviously new to protesting as well. And so it was a wonderful experience to see all these people who had never been maybe politically engaged before be there, but also you had to sort of get over yourself a little bit and go, it's okay. It's okay that my like, my body is where my belief is, and that's all that matters. I'm glad you brought it back around because I was worried that, you know, somebody who covers podcasts was going to have a headline like, you know, women's rights activist says women's march was too frustrating to just Miserable right. and sweaty. <laughs> you know, I had to get over myself frequently, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think I think this is important to note that we as a generation are not necessarily familiar with protests that we are not accustomed to the fact that it is just coming to stand and be counted and add your voice and sometimes add your ability to listen especially when you're supporting people who uh you know who have less privilege than you do and you want to be there to amplify their voice so it was this really really good moment for me of like oh if this is something i'm going to commit myself to doing going forward i need to understand that i just need to be in the room it's okay. Like, that's all I have to do. It doesn't matter if nobody's listening to me or reading my sign. I My body is adding emphasis to the statement we're all making. That sentiment caught on to people that weren't even in D.C. I mean, it was just like waking up, seeing it on the news. At first, I had thought to myself, well, I'm not going to go to the Nebraska stuff that was organized because, well, the only thing that really matters is the D.C. statement and everything. But 
just seeing all of it, you just couldn't help but get out there. And even in Lincoln, Nebraska, they're talking about four to 6,000 people. It was the largest thing. It was the largest event ever in Nebraska in terms of a protest movement. And it was just wonderful at that point to be counted in the movement and just to see how many people were really standing in solidarity. My little brother sent me pictures of Lincoln. It looked awesome. Yeah, there was oh, yeah. what, like two, uh, 3,000 people in Lincoln? The Lincoln Journal Star was conservatively estimating 2,000 <laughs> people, but the counts that I've been hearing tossed out have been closer to 6,000 people. Amazing. And, wow. you know, the the best sign that I saw, I I wasn't able to have a witty sign right on the spot, but <laughs> somebody had a sign that said, if I make my uterus a corporation, would you stop regulating it? I had lots of favorites, but one of them was a guy, a white guy who had a sign that said, I ha was going to write my opinion, but I figured it was about time white guys shut up and listened. Yeah. I was like, you are awesome. You are cool, dude. <laughs> yep. It was it was refreshing down here in Texas, too, because there was a bit of a friendly rivalry. I, I listened to the Texas Standard on the, the Texas NPR, North Texas NPR station, a bit of a friendly rivalry between Dallas and Fort Worth as to who had more people show awesome. up. And, you know, and, and it was very friendly. You know, it was it was kind of ribbing each other. I think my favorite sign that I saw or my favorite photo, uh, which seems to have been pulled down from Twitter now, but just amazing. And far be it for me to ever let a liquid flannel recording go by where I don't mention Hamilton in some way. <laughs> right. uh, but it was a, a picture just across the crowd um, marching, and someone in the foreground was holding up a sign that said, history has its eyes on you. And then someone right behind them was holding up a very popular at the march image of Princess Leia, uh, and so it was just her eyes kind of peering over this Amazing. this sign. Was, that just moving. Very I made cool. several. So I made my sign and I made a bunch more. Related to that is uh, the very popular one, A Woman's Place is in the Resistance with a Princess Leia image. Or A Woman's Place is leading the Resistance with a General mm. Organa image. Uh, and then I had one that said, include women in the sequel for my Hamilton reference. Oh, <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Was there a lot of drones out there? Did you notice any of that kind of stuff going on? Dude, there was like there were I saw very few drones. Um but there was also like you couldn't get cell service, you know, and yeah. you, and it was um one of Frustrating. the <laughs> one of the things that happened when we kind of we had to go back to our bus before we actually got to move very much. So we marched about 20 feet and then we were like, well shit, we have to leave now um to catch our bus back. But we had this this great moment where as we were walking back to the train, literally half of like probably I don't know, a fifth of the marchers had split off because they were so congested where they were and marched down a completely different street that they just took over that wasn't included in the permits or anything like that. So we then got our sort of like yelling and shouting and marching actively experience, which was nice. But it was <laughs> it was incredible because literally from where I stood, I looked to one side and there were you know, bridges across two streets, sort of like highway overpass bridges. And Every single surface, all the way across one side, the entire street, the other, you know, surface, everywhere I looked was covered with people. And that wasn't even the official march route. That was just people who got frustrated and decided they were going to march no matter what, which was pretty cool. And people were so polite at the train stations. We were, you know, packed in like sardines and we're just one by one getting through the turnstiles and everyone, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I think it deserves pointing out that um, across all of these protests, um, at least in the United States, I can't speak for the worldwide protests because that was going on also. Uh, but as far as I can tell, 
nothing bad happened. There were no acts of violence, uh, nobody arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I certainly haven't seen anything reported on that. And, you know, I follow as a necessity of my job, the manosphere on Twitter and Reddit. And I'm sure I would have heard about it if something. Well, then I am disappointed because I'm surprised you didn't hear that Sheriff Clark was mean mugged several times at that women's movement (laughs) march. So that was self-reported on Twitter by, uh, Oh, you know what? There was actually, no, this, this is a good time to bring up a very important, you know, assault that happened. (laughs) Um, I shouldn't have laughed. That was terrible. I'm cruel. (laughs) (laughs) Cold blooded. (laughs) Fox News reported that the leader of Bikers for Trump, these were the guys who were going to Uh, establish a meat wall, as they called it, for the inauguration, (laughs) um, described being assaulted by women at the march, not only screamed at, but also had glitter thrown on him. Oh, well, dude. You can't get that shit out, so... Yeah. That's actually the meanest thing you can do. <laughs> what, I'd rather give, be punched in the face than Give glitter. them the herpes equivalent of crafting. Is that what it's called? Right, the herpes of craft supplies. They'll never be the same again. They'll have to shave their biker beards or whatever. <laughs> no, you just gotta hit it with the shampoo real good, you know? So. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I, that's terrible. That's terrible. How can we condone such behaviors? We don't. Seriously. Obviously. Seriously. When they go low, we go with glitter. <laughs> we go with glitter. <laughs> so or we go high. For you, you guys in Nebraska, are you? Are you? Did you write an angry email to Bill Kittner today? I did not write an angry email. I know that my man. Ernie Chambers is going to give that dude enough hell. So I'm going to, I'm just going to sit back in the corner and wait for Ernie to tag me in. One time I wrote (laughs) uh, an angry email or letter or something. I don't remember what exactly it was to uh, Jeff Fortenberry, Mm -hmm. who was our congressman for a while when Mm -hmm. we were redistricted. And that dude will never let you forget that you wrote him a letter. Like, email spam nonstop, just spam mails from just all kinds of political action committees and Republican fundraising, just all constantly. You're like, dude, let it go. At least you're getting it from Fortenberry. I still get stuff from Ted Cruz because I wrote him an angry letter. Yeah, they make you pay for for complaining to them. But I don't know. What do you think the best thing to do is? I, I hear... People are like calling directly on the phone now, but some people still say like the the physical letter is also effective. I, I'm not even sure. I think no. Okay, basically, basically ranked. A phone call is best. A personal letter is next best. The third would and and there's a sharp drop off after that point. Um, a form letter is the next one in line, but much less effective. And then. Signing a petition online or something is basically useless. Well, complaining to my set senator, which is Kintner, about state, his behavior. Nebraska unicameral state <laughs> senate. I mean, if I call this guy's office, I don't even. It's probably just gonna like ring to his his phone could, or whatever. It'll probably just ring his Skype girlfriend. You could just go knock on his door. <laughs> yeah, you should just go track him down. Yeah. I wrote him an angry email, and it felt really good. felt really good to just be like, this kind of behavior is disgusting and appalling, and you are an elected official who should know better, and I expect you to apologize and to do better in the future. And it just felt 
just oh guys the righteous indignation was so strong well um, i can <laughs> i can guarantee you this right now without any humble brag on my clairvoyancy but he won't do better in the future danielle <laughs> i i don't expect him to but reminding right. him he should does feel really good I will say no. I have decided to treat my congressional representatives, to all my representatives, I'm trying to find the way I want to say this, um, in the way that you behave in your worst relationships, by mm. which I mean, I'm going to nag them. I'm going to be very clear about, like, <laughs> if you don't shape the fuck up about this, I am going to replace you. And then I'm mm. going to be like, that behavior was very condescending about, and well, you know, I'll try to be honest, but probably in a condescending way, be like, yes, that was a good thing you did. Well done. Keep it up. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got to reward good behavior totally. in a relationship, Danielle. Come on now. <laughs> right. But know. I, you know, and like, I feel like this is actually, this is an appropriate place for that behavior. Your romantic relationships are not. But this mm-hmm. is an appropriate place to be like, that thing I wrote you about <laughs> yesterday, you still haven't fucking done it. So I need you to do it. In a, That's you know, right. productive fashion. You need to be a mean boss. They are technically our employees. Right? They work for you us. You better have my money. so the other thing is have any of you thought of running for office since all of this bullshit oh yeah yeah um it's been in the back of my head for a long time and i feel like there's some things that i need to get um kind of reconciled before i can do it but i'm kind of on that path right now and i would like to do that yeah absolutely who's that dude who's always in Lincoln, who's, like, for, like, the Nebraska, like, marijuana party or whatever. Oh, I forget. It's, like, a libertarian guy or whatever. I don't know. He's, like, with some official. He was tweeting out or on his crazy Facebook page or whatever. He was like, I got, like, the 10th most votes of presidential candidates or something. (laughs) The nation. Nice. Or maybe it was the party he was affiliated with I, or whatever, which is like legal marijuana now party or something like that. Yeah. You're cracking the top but ten like, in that. Hey, you know what? If that dude can do it and, you know, yeah. be, you know, maybe, maybe. Absolutely. This know. is a place where my history of reading erotic novels on Audible will probably come back to bite me in the ass. I do not think that I will get elected to office within the next 30 years. You know, Because I don't know. of that? <laughs> Danielle, come on, we're living in a different world now. We are, but Those I'm a t- but but I'm a woman. If I was a dude, I'd probably be I fine. get it. Yeah, no, <laughs> no I totally get point. it. Yo, you're right. <laughs> well, and not to not to rain on Chuck's parade either, but he's a gay black dude. Like, <laughs> dude, I mean, for sure. You you've got a squeaky clean record, and I don't know if that's going to be enough. Yeah, well, and my record's not squeaky clean either (laughs) okay like cursed marijuana oh well yeah i think maybe you know maybe i'll start to like go to those pta meetings yeah yeah start small especially with like betsy devos or whatever coming in being like public schools we don't need that trash get out of here that's right yeah you you joke but being involved in your pta is is not an ineffective step toward getting on your local school board yep and that's a step toward being on the state school board. And then who knows what happens after that? The Pope of Education! <laughs> Do you see the Women's March turning itself into real tangible political action? Um, which in my mind is everybody needs to run for office. Everybody on our side needs to be running for literally any office that's available. Did you see much of that kind of enthusiasm? Was this just a display of solidarity or will this turn into real political action? I think results may vary. 
Um, I think everybody has a different is going to have a different relationship with it. Um, for me, I have been since since the week after the election, I have been calling my senators. I have been signing petitions where it felt like it might be even remotely helpful. I have been donating money in a way that I didn't used to. And I just today, um, I'm going to throw out a plug for um, PAI, which is essentially a program that um, that functions as sort of a Planned Parenthood for international resources. So mm. in the gap that Trump has just created, where he is, you know, re- has forbidden there to be any funds going to anyone who even mentions abortion, even foreign clinics that don't perform abortions, but do counsel that abortion is an option, are no longer eligible to receive funding from the U.S. for health care for women or possibly health care at all. I should research this more. But anyway, this organization, PAI, um, is directly supporting women's health care overseas. So I have my monthly Planned Parenthood donation along with my ACLU and my Southern Poverty Law Center. And I just added PAI to my monthly my monthly billing. Um, so PAI.org would be somewhere to act on that. Um, so I've been doing all those things. But after the march, the thing that I'm carrying around now is the sense that, oh, shit, there are so many more people who are involved and willing to show up than any of us thought. Mm-hmm. And I am now feeling so much more empowered to continue to show up and to continue to fight and do all the actions I've already been doing, but to amplify them and to do them with greater frequency. Um, and then to organize, to get my friends together and say, okay, I found there's a, pro- there's a protest. Um, there's a bunch of anti-choice protesters that are planning to protest at Planned Parenthood on the 11th of February. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll clear my schedule. I'll call my friends or we're going to go stage a counter protest to their bullshit protest. Um, so I, I think it, again, results may vary, but I'm also getting really interested in, I think Emily's list is going to be the next on my people I want to donate money to because they're, they're the early money is like yeast people. They raise money for female candidates. and um, Because it helps raise, it helps the, raise dough. the dough. It helps raise the dough. And uh, uh, she she should run is a big one that, um, that uh, empowers female candidates, education and sort of like all these different ways that they can make a plan to run for office to campaign. So I think... Yes, I do think it will make a difference. It made a difference for me. But I also think that it's just going to be variable for some people. And that's the other thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is like, how do we... I have friends, very close, good friends, um, who did not march on Saturday, but were so excited for me that I was marching. So I was sending in pictures of my posters and I, you know, sharpied the National Lawyers Guild number on my arm, like you're supposed to in case you get arrested. Um, And... I was sending, and they were thrilled and like, be safe, be careful. We want to hear all about it. Da, 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 da. My goal is to gently and slowly bring them over to the direct activism I'm participating in and at the same time activate my activism to a greater level and hopefully just continue to do that. So I think it has made a difference. I don't know if it'll be turned into a co- like a cohesive movement, but if it produces individual results, that's okay with me. Right. Now we're the left. We never have a cohesive movement. We mentioned earlier that uh, they're already, you know, starting to plan the next, uh, you know, big protest event uh, looking like it's going to be uh, on tax day, April yes. 15th. I'm there. Uh, you know, getting Are you going? about Trump needs to release his taxes. Oh. Wait, okay. I'll, I'll go. So, Brennan, it, we've, we've discussed that before. Is the point of the protest just to get Donald Trump to release his taxes? Is there, Or is it to bring attention? Is that the point of the protest? I think, well... I don't know what the point of the protest is, but if that, I don't think that that's a a goal that could actually work. But I think that the protest could bring enough attention to the issue to right. force your senators to make that law, so that if he's running for re-election again, 
then he we won't be able to it. play this or shit. Or just to keep, you know, just to keep the heat on, because he's going to say, like, I'm not releasing my taxes, and then for, for him, he's done with that. He never wants to talk about it again, so as long as you can keep him talking about it. The one thing that he's great at as a businessman is finding a loophole. Right. And uh, I think I'm cribbing someone else here when I say finding a loophole, expanding it to its biggest extent, and then walking through it. Right. You know, we've seen the same thing with his with conflicts of interest, you know, like it doesn't bother him that it has been the convention for presidents to disclose and dispose of their conflicts of interest. He's just looking at it going, oh, the law doesn't apply to the president. So it doesn't apply to me and I don't have to do well, that. And I thing. think also, you know, bringing attention to the fact that he said, I know how the rigged system works and only I can fix it. <laughs> right. So if that's your excuse is like, I'm corrupt and I use all the tax laws and I know them so well that I'm going to fix it, then get fixing. You know yeah. what I mean? I think it's a perfect opportunity to when people are paying their taxes saying like, man, this sucks that I have to pay taxes to just remind them like, hey, you know who didn't pay any taxes because of crazy tax loopholes? The president, Donald Trump, who claims to love America so much. You're paying taxes. He's not. <laughs> And what has he done about that? What has he done to close any of those tax loopholes? Because to me, it looks like he's, he takes advantage yeah, of. To me, it looks like he's just making taxes easier on the rich people. Did any of his tax cuts help you? You know, for people who were like the Women's March, I don't care about that. Maybe this is an issue that they can care about. So yeah. maybe it'll get different people involved. And I think it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, Danielle, I've seen yeah. a lot of pushback on the Women's Marches. For intersectionality? Well, I... No, actually, though we could talk about that too. That. <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, no, from a bunch of, I assume that they're younger bro types. <laughs> what are they protesting anyway? I mean, I think among the four of us, it's pretty much a given. But what did the marches mean to you? To me personally, it was an opportunity to show up and be counted as someone who is absolutely opposed to the rhetoric of the way women have been treated in politics for the last forever. Well, especially the last two years, <laughs> but um, before that, that, and I have my own, my own, ex my own opinions about Hillary as a candidate, but we, it is unequivocally true that she was politically speaking, the most qualified candidate ever having been, like she had the most experience in politics. She's been a secretary of state. She's been a senator. She'd been literally, you know, around the White House. One of the things I thought about recently a lot is the way that Trump has succeeded where Sarah Palin failed. And obviously they're not exactly identical situations, but both of them are kind of wild card mavericks. And, uh, and the fact that they both said a lot of things that were either stupid or not true. And Trump obviously got very far much further in his ambitions with that being the case. I and mean, I think he I think he knows how to work a crowd. But for me, I was there to say it is not OK that the president of the United States said that he can grab women by the pussy. It's not OK. It's just not OK. It mm -hmm. never will be. It never has been. It is never going to be OK for someone in elected office of any kind, but especially the highest one to brag about sexual assault. And if Sarah Palin or Hillary Clinton had said, oh, yeah, yeah, I go around and ding men in the nuts all the time. I can do it. I'm powerful. Oh, my God. I can't imagine the outroar. And the fact that that wasn't right. disqualifying for him was the reason, the, the highest of the reasons I felt required to march. But it also was about, for me, fucking equality 
and and the idea that equal pay still isn't a thing and that I still have to worry about abortion rights being taken away and think, well, in New York, I'm probably going to be fine, but I should find a way to get a secret bus route from Ohio to Canada that I then advertise for women. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the fact that right. I've had to have conversations about like, all right, in worst case scenario, how are we going to get a system of buses that can be donated for women in states that won't allow abortion to get to Canada where they can have abortions? Because abortion has always been legal for rich women because they can always mm-hmm. go somewhere go else to get yep. one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole thing mm-hmm. with the, the fact that Ireland, in Ireland, abortion is illegal flat. There's no exceptions. It is just illegal. And the only reason that has been possible right. until now is because England's right there. So you can right. get on a flight to England, go have an abortion, and then come back to Ireland. It's horrifying, but that's true. And mm-hmm. um, it is appalling to me that in 2017, we are still having these conversations because, as we all know, when abortion becomes illegal, it just gets dangerous. It doesn't go away. Something like one in three pregnancies end in abortion. So... I think it's really important that people, even if it's something you are directly opposed to, understand that even if you don't like it, it's going to keep happening. And the best way to fight back to it is to support childcare and birth control and all these things that make it either mm-hmm. easier to have a child or easier to not have a Comprehensive child. Comprehensive sex education. All of these things. Right. 100%. And, and educating women. I mean, one of the best things that you can do against abortion is give women a good education and a career because educated career women put off. Having children. Risky sexual – having children <laughs> and risky sexual right. And, you know, supporting, you know, things like Obamacare that allows people to get IEDs and, and things like that where mm-hmm. they – IUDs. 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 Dude, I want some of those Obama IEDs. Improvised exploded Keep them away. Was that part of the whole martial law thing he was supposed to do, handing out IEDs to leftist progressives? put in your uterus. <laughs> Here, hold but, this. You know, Boom. It, it's long lasting. You don't have to remember to take it, and it's like a one-time, uh, you know, procedure. You don't have to keep going in and getting shots or whatever. But yet, you know, Republicans will say, "Well, abortion's terrible," but then, you know, oh, but also birth control—that's also terrible. And it's like you, you got to pick one here. You, and you also, pick one. Head Start programs and mandatory paid family leave. Pick one again. Pick one. Free preschool, childcare, you yeah. know, tax credits. You know, there's lots of things right. that they could do if they truly were pro-life and they wanted to actually reduce abortions instead of what they really want to do, which is just punish women. Is For to having sex. Make sure yeah. that they feel the shame and they feel punishment and that they make it as difficult. They got to jump through as many invasive hoops as possible. Well, and especially women of color in those communities and things totally. that are even more marginalized. And Chuck, I think that's a great segue to another big question that Danielle raised, which I'd like to get to now. Okay. <laughs> I can keep quiet. So, Danielle, the last topic, and you hinted at it before, um, was intersectionality, the way different beliefs and different identities were represented in the march that you went to. Uh, We actually discussed this a little bit before, uh, before you joined us, with regard to pro-life activists who were there. I'm interested in your perspective 
on that maybe later, but you're a white woman who came from a middle class family in the Midwest. Pretty white, yeah. I'm interested in what you what you saw while you were there uh, with regard to people of color, um, different sexual identities. I was anxious um, going because I I think there is a justifiable dialogue um, among feminist groups about the fact that white feminism has been dangerous to feminists of color, that it has sometimes prioritized white women over um, black women, especially, but but feminists of all colors um, and at the expense of feminists of other colors <laughs> than white. So I was a little anxious that I, I'm, I still am. I still feel a little uncomfortable about the fact that I am a middle class white woman who could have well, I didn't have to pay anything to get the to get the bus because I went with a friend who managed to get it for free. But uh, I had the privilege to take a day off work. I had the privilege to take the day off before and make signs like I, you know, like I, I, I was advantaged in my ability to go and protest. And so one of the things that I am constantly trying to talk to myself about is how to be what my my one of my friends calls um, amplification. So there's been a discussion about how one of the reasons there were probably few to no arrests, as we know of, at the all the marches across the country is because there were a lot of friggin white people there. And the police presence was likely to treat a group of white people protesting differently than a group of people of color protesting. And I think that that's true. And I think that it is obviously problematic that protests don't necessarily represent all of the people they are intended to represent. Um, and I know with the Women's March, there was some issues right off the bat with the, the fact that the people who founded the march just happened to all be white and therefore were occasionally really insensitive about the important history that was going into forming a protest march um, with regards to women of color. Mm. But uh, I think they did the right thing in then inviting noted feminists of color who had experience in these things to come and take over control of planning. Um, but I guess all that to say that, like, for me, implication is about the idea that if my presence can make it easier for your message to be heard or make you feel more safe or make you actually more safe then I, as a white woman, need to be going to Black Lives Matter protests, which I do anyway because it's a cor- it's a cause I believe in. But also, if my being there means that the police are going to treat you differently, with more respect, then I should fucking go. And obviously, it shouldn't matter. The police should treat you with exactly the same amount of respect they treat me and people who are protesting your protest. <laughs> like, it's it's that thing about sort of like, okay, so you can't take a knee to protest. You can't, like, there's all these different ways mm-hmm. that it's not okay mm-hmm. to protest like, if you're don't black. Don't block a street. Right. Don't block a street. It's like, I I like the idea. I just don't like the method. Right. But you, every method, I, I don't like that. Right. Every method. Any method where I have to hear you. Or is, acknowledge is, your existence. Is, is un- inappropriate is in- somehow, yes. right. No, you take a knee behind the Gatorade thing at a football game, and somehow that's also obtrusive. That's about the quietest form of protest right. I totally. can think Wait, of, and that also is They even said, like, what I choose to do in that moment is kneel in prayer. Right. Too far. Right. Yes. Too right? far. Seriously. So for me as a white feminist, I was relieved to see that there were um, there were plenty of people of color and gay people and people of all ages and sort of all orientations and what appeared to be all religions. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's very few people wear their religion aggressively outwardly. Um, Check their necklaces. But, they, they have necklaces. <laughs> just like start staring mm-hmm. at their necks. But so I was relieved to see that there were a lot of there was a lot of diversity in the crowd. I don't think there was enough. And I think there certainly were a lot more white women available than than anybody else. 
But I also think the other thing I think that is important is that as a white feminist that I constantly remind myself that it's okay to be uncomfortable and it's okay to apologize and say, I think I worded that wrong. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to learn to have this conversation and that it's not the responsibility of anyone else to educate me. But I have been very fortunate to sometimes have conversations with people where I'm like, okay, I am I know it's not your responsibility to educate me, but do you feel comfortable helping me figure this out? Um, but I, I think that we all... Because everybody in this conversation has some form of privilege um, mm-hmm. of different, you know, kinds. But I think that we all have to get to a point where we can just be like, yeah, okay, it makes me feel uncomfortable to hear you say that because I feel guilty or weird or, you know, unwilling to look at that particular reason that I have something better than somebody else as an experience goes. But um, that that is not – it's getting easier to live in that discomfort. And I think that's important. And the more I embrace it, the better I'm doing with it. And I'm trying yeah. to do increasingly better, but uh, yeah, it was a it was um not as wide a march as I thought it was going to be, and as I feared it would be. But it was uh was still a majority white march, and I think that's problematic. And I am trying to find ways that I can better move that forward. Nice, thank you, Daniel O'Farrell, for that awesome perspective. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, you you reminded me of. Uh, a thing that I saw echoed both between the the low turnout at the inaugural and the high turnout at the Women's March, um, mostly coming from conservative voices, uh, I think actually uniformly coming from conservative <laughs> voices, that, that turnout at the inauguration was low because people have to work. The implication being, A, that most people who work in D.C. don't get the day off on inauguration because it's just awful to try mm-hmm. to get around. Uh, but also be, and much more importantly, that Obama's inauguration was so big because the people who showed up don't have to work. I've, yeah. And I think that that's weirdly echoed in uh, what you said about the, you know, your your privilege of being able to take days off of work and then the march in D.C., which is a majority black population being majority white. And you wonder, I don't think that it's probably because the black women who live in DC didn't want to show up, but they don't necessarily have the freedom to do so, you know? So it, it implicates a thing with the women's March. It also puts the lie to the, the inauguration. Well, and I'm, I'm going to throw out a theory that I actually think a lot of black women in DC did come, but so many people there were from out of DC. There were people right. from, oh, so sure. I think my, my sense of it is that, that it was, and it was still pretty diverse in, in a good way. Although again, I'm not as diverse as I think it should have been. But, um, but the fact that I think it's easier for white women to travel in terms of access. Oh, sure. Sure. Because it takes money and it takes and money and or time, you know, like enough money or enough time or both. Right. But so my sense of it was definitely that like, it's easier if you're a, white woman to get on that plane that southwest plane that's full of white women going to the march the trump supporters saying well we had to work and i think that one thing that could be thrown into that is trump supporters may have been more likely to be working jobs where you don't get time off or where you don't have um totally those luxuries to be able to afford that and that's kind of indicative about the America that these people are facing and that others are facing. I mean, you know, when it's a, with Obama, it was so transformative that everyone wanted to be a part of history. It was like a rock star type of thing. But 
now, even with a media star, it's like, well, we have to work our jobs that we actually don't really like if you asked us the truth about them. But, you well, know. and there was. Well, you know, it's it's also hard to reconcile the way we were talking earlier about Sean Spicer saying things that were directly contradictory in the same <laughs> press conference. Yeah. If the if the people who voted for Trump and want to support him were doing it so that he would bring jobs back, but none of them could show up to the inauguration because they were all at work. <laughs> where does that leave us? The ultimate irony is that you see uh, all the Tea Party protesters back when Obama was in office is a lot of elderly and disabled people. Roll, you remember rolling around yeah, on their scooters and stuff, right? Work. And being like, you know, I love my Medicaid or whatever. <laughs> like, yay, Social Security. Yeah. I hate taxes. And it's like those people are literally being federally subsidized to have nothing better to do but to then put on to like a colonial there. costume and be like, I hate taxes. <laughs> right. Um, and somehow no one ever criticized them well, for being like, don't you have anything better to do than being out there being in the Tea Party? Come on. There was, right. there was some, uh, the DC Metro released information that um, there were 80,000 more rides before 11 a.m. on Saturday at the Women's March than there were on Friday at the inauguration. And my first thought was that, like, oh, let's be honest, but if you voted for Trump, you're either probably, again, like, you can't get the time off work or it's too expensive to come to the inauguration or you're super wealthy and there's no way that you're riding the metro. So yeah. I don't think that, mm. that the metro. You're riding on the backs of colored people. <laughs> <laughs> or in limos driven by them. Uh, yes. Right. There you go. It's like, I, have a, I have a feeling they took a different form of transportation into the city than okay. the metro. Well, you know what? And, and I even saw a thing uh, for the uh, for the inaugural. One of the groups released uh, uh, the guidebook for D.C. And it was the most sheltered, <laughs> ridiculous thing. I, all of the, you know, they would talk about saving money for the trip. But all of the hotels and restaurants they named were in the... Like the Georgetown mm. area, where it's the most expensive to stay and to eat, um, mm. issuing these safety protocols <laughs> for taking the metro. You don't want to be on this one. <laughs> that it just happens to be the one that goes to the black <laughs> neighborhoods. Um, Man, I rode a DC metro through the black neighborhood carrying a computer monitor. Ooh. I looked pretty bizarre, but <laughs> so I think I scared most of the people on the metro. I got to tell you guys, That's how I operate. Living, living in New York for three years now has made me pretty impervious to scary shit on the metro. Like, I, <laughs> I will. Seen it all. I, oh, there's, there are things you can't unsee. There are things you can't oh, yeah. unsee on the metro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Danielle. Well, it was my pleasure. It was awesome to hear about <laughs> your yeah. amazing experiences. Uh, where can uh, people find you at the internet to tweet at you about how you should get a job instead of protesting? <laughs> um, pay my health insurance and we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, you, uh, you can find me at O'Farrell Style, which is O-F-A-R-R-E-L-L -L Style um, on Twitter. And you can also keep an eye out for those uh, saucy audiobooks that I mentioned because I'll be doing four more of them in the new year. So Boom. I know, I know. Ooh, Valentine's Day is coming up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's mostly housewives and long haul truckers, and I know this because all of them friend me on Facebook. 
so alternative facts, yes. alternative fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for start. Isn't alternative fiction just fiction? <laughs> you should start your own like audiobook alternative fiction. That's a great name for like a <laughs> line of books. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, have a good I will one. Do. Have <laughs> a good care. night, gentlemen. Yep. yep. Thanks seeing you. Thanks. Well, thank you for tuning in again. Um, you can find us at uh, liquid underscore flannel on Twitter. Also rate us on iTunes um, and follow us on Twitter individually. Uh, I am at Shaggy2Trope. And I am at Brendan Williams with one L. And I am at Matt the Great with a W. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good night and we'll see you next time.